Chapter 5 Visiting Hours Drop your weapon. It wasn't the largest gun that had ever been pointed at Rory Pond, but he had to admit that even saying that spoke to some pretty poor life choices. It isn't a weapon, he said wearily. It's stuffing. He tweaked back the baking tray's tin foil. The crisp scent of breadcrumbs and sage wafted through Storm Cage Containment Facility's visitor clearance area for just a moment before the air filters whisked it away. The guard leaned closer, breath snorting out from between its metal fangs. Rory hadn't seen this design before. Last year it had all been holograms, sleek and bright and cheery, like a prison crossed with a mobile phone shop. The year before, Stormcage had gone digital. Rory found it hard to explain what it felt like to be converted to an email attachment, except to say that he really didn't want to feel it again. This year, it seemed that Stormcage was favouring the direct approach. The guard was eight feet of pale, ponderous muscle, its face a glittering mass of lenses that clicked and rotated, painting a triangle of targeting lasers over the centre of Rory's Christmas jumper. Staffing, the guard growled. You couldn't blame it for being confused. Most visitors to Stormcage travelled light. It was a bit like an airport. Nobody wanted to spend an hour emptying their pockets for the scanners while everyone else in the queue glared at them. This was true whether you were spending a cheeky weekend in Lanzarote or visiting the most secure prison of the 52nd century. And yet, it was Christmas. Rory didn't know if Stormcage got a Christmas. He imagined it might be low down on the list of priorities when you were guarding some of the most dangerous felons in the universe. So every year, he and Amy tried to bring Christmas to them. Or at least, to one inmate in particular, their daughter, River Song. The visitor clearance area was a vast concrete square painted a dazzling antiseptic white. Hulking brutes, much like the one currently pointing its gun at Rory, guarded gleaming white doors that led to what Rory hoped were offices and not interrogation rooms. He had a sudden unpleasant image of the turkey they had cooked being searched for contraband. The poor thing had been through enough already. It's just food, Rory said, indicating the shopping trolley behind him, laden down with roasting dishes, plastic containers and tinfoil-covered bowls and it's already cooked, so lasering it is overkill. I could make you a plate if you like. Just a little one? Just a little plate was Amy Pond's solution to all problems arising between the 25th of December and the 15th of January. They still had leftovers from last year. I wish Amy was here. Suddenly, every single guard in visitor clearance snapped to attention, bulky weapons slamming against their chests. Rory turned to see a figure entering through a door, hand raised in greeting. Rory Pond! The man gleamed. That was Rory's first thought. His suit was a pressed and perfect white, a blinding non-shade that blended in so thoroughly with the white walls that for a single unnerving second, all Rory saw drifting towards him was a disembodied human head. Henrik Chill. Chief Psychiatrist. A hand appeared, again seeming disconnected by the brightness of the suit, and after a moment of juggling baking trays, Rory took it. You could say that being a nurse was the opposite of being a soldier. Rory certainly would. He had been both. But there were similarities, and being both a nurse and a soldier had given him a sort of radar for the people who ended up in charge. There were the kind people, or rather, the tired people. The leaders who were tired from trying to be kind in a job where there was often no kindness to be had. The leaders who cared about those they led. Then, there were the tyrants, the sellouts, the leaders who saw those they were responsible for as a number, or a nuisance, or both. Which, Rory wondered, are you? Chill wasn't so much handsome as he was well-assembled, his dark features sharp and alert, his eyes a deep and clever brown. 
He was smiling, open and friendly, and yet there was something a little too precise about the expression, as if he'd learned it from a book. Where is your lovely wife? At home, Rory said. Her mother's not well. Amy would be better at this. Rory had seen his wife stare down Daleks, defy presidents and argue with reptiles from the dawn of time. She'd even broken Raymond Chatterley's nose in fifth form when he had tried to glue Rory's hand to a school locker. That might have been the moment when Rory fell in love with Amy, except for all the other moments that had come first. So sorry to hear that, Jill said. He didn't sound sorry. He sounded like he was saying the kind of thing you said when people told you other people weren't well. It was like having a conversation with a scalpel. I trust your transit was satisfactory? That was a complicated question to answer. Travelling from the 21st century to the 52nd had been as smooth as could be expected, in that Rory and the Doctor had only been diverted twice for life-threatening adventures. Rory knew he shouldn't complain. It had taken him a while to realise that, in terms of space travel, taking your first trip in a TARDIS was like doing your driving test in a Ferrari. Prism policy had dictated that Rory make the final approach alone, in one of Stormcage's own transfer ships, a blunt bullet of a vessel that stank of sadness and sweat. That was something to complain about, except Rory never would. He would have walked there if he'd had to. It was what you did when you were a parent. A Christmas dinner, the psychiatrist exclaimed with a dry clap of his hands. Even that seemed calculated to draw Rory's attention to the echoey vastness around them. How marvellous! Dr Song is very lucky to have you. Oh, I don't know about that, Rory said, with his best British must-get-going smile. But you're very good to say. Chill waved the guards back. I apologise for my boy's dedication. They can't help it. Again, that mathematical smile. It's how I designed them. Tyrant, then. Amazing how it never took long for people to show you who they really were. May I accompany you to her accommodation? Chill phrased it like a question, but they both knew it wasn't. Rory found himself thinking of the conversation he'd had with Amy after their visit last year. I hate it there, Amy had said. I know. I hate River being there. Me too. But I understand why she has to be there. Everyone thinks she killed the doctor. If she wasn't in prison for it, then his enemies would hunt him and her. And yes, she breaks out all the time and he visits her and I understand. All right? I do. I don't, Rory had said, taking her in his arms. I mean, they've explained it and they're happy with it, and that's important, but it doesn't mean I understand it. So I don't feel bad about being upset about it. And neither should you. Mr Pond? Chill was still smiling, neat as the signature on an eviction notice. Shall we? The conveyance cart hummed, and Henrik Chill hummed along with it. The black beetle-like craft descended through wide white tunnels, and Rory soon realised that the glare of the psychiatrist's suit came from some sort of internal illumination, like a portable searchlight, and with rather the same effect, deepening shadows, freezing security officers in place, bouncing from blade edges and gun muzzles, so they seemed dazzlingly sharp. Steel door after steel door spooled out before them, neat as the notches on a measuring tape. Brand and sadness, mega theft. Occasionally, Chill would call out the occupants of the cells they passed, like the lift announcement in a posh department store. Heinern Oshovo, 2,000 counts of murder. Such a busy boy. Star felon. Really, with that name, I don't know what they were expecting. He smirked at that. Rory didn't. Instead, he busied himself with checking the food or absently counting the stenciled black numbers on the prison wall. This was something he had learned in long shifts at Royal Ledworth Hospital. If you couldn't topple a tyrant, 
The least you could do was not give them an audience. It did not go unnoticed. The ghost of annoyance appeared on Chill's mechanically precise features as the cart purred into a huge service elevator, the platform corkscrewing downwards. Somewhere in the distance, a muffled siren wailed and was immediately cut short. I imagine, Chill said eventually, I do not need to explain that I am a powerful man. Then why do it, Rory thought. And not just powerful, but respected. The strategies outlined in my papers on the criminal mind are now standard practice in many facilities. I have interviewed utterly villainous individuals. The Butcher of Baymond, Aemon the Destructivore. These are, his hands fluttered, celebrities. And being the man to document them provides its own celebrity too. Rory pretty much always wished Amy was nearby, but now the pang was particularly sharp. He'd read once that sharks could smell a single drop of blood in the water from a hundred kilometres away, but that was nothing compared to Amelia Pond realising she had just gained the upper hand. River, he said. You want to interview River? Dr Song is proving stubborn. Chill said reluctantly. Records of her adventures are either confusing or outright contradictory. Her background is somewhere between unknown and completely unbelievable, and even our medical scans cannot seem to agree as to her genetics. I'm still receiving word that she is out there in the universe, despite knowing that she is imprisoned here. Again the fluttering, like birds trying to escape. Put simply, she is frustrating, which means that the man who finally tells her story will be famous. I would like you to convince her to cooperate. I think, Rory said, because it was probably a better response on the whole than punching Chill in the face, she's probably quite happy telling her own story. Why would she want you to do it? The hand stilled in that shining lap. Because I can set her free. Or at the very least, aid her escape. You know, I have always considered our transfer ships an accident waiting to happen. Practically prehistoric in terms of security. Why, all it would require is a little inattention on our part. And a prisoner could be light years away. River doesn't want to escape, Rory said carefully, adding permanently in his head. Stormcage was protection for her and the Doctor both. And she'd be hunted even if she did. You can't prevent that. Can't I? Chill said mildly. For her to be hunted, someone would have to report her gone. If she is believed to be here, surely that is as good as being here, no? Christmas at home, Mr. Pond. Wouldn't that be nice? They made the rest of the trip in silence. Stormcage was vast. It took another thirty minutes of bleached white gantries and wide concrete corridors before they approached cell 426 in cell block humanoid 3. Imprisonment came in many forms here, just like the prisoners. Cell design had to be flexible, when you were imprisoning hyperspace wyverns and Saturnian light vampires and people who took whole planets for joyrides. River Song's cell, much like River herself, had started out relatively normal, just a polished stone square fronted by everything-proof glass and bookended by two hulking guards. However, that had very swiftly gone out of the window once they had put River Song inside. Now. Cell 426 was an archaeologist's dream. Every inch was piled with the tat and treasure of a thousand cultures, like all of history colliding in a space the size of Rory's first apartment. Priceless French wardrobes had been stacked five high along one wall, their drawers yanked out and converted to bookshelves. Gems the size of baby potatoes glittered among stacks of tattered paperbacks, mysteries and romance, and adventure and crime. And sitting in the middle of it all, 
reclining on a mound of duvets like a dragon on its hoard, was River Song. Dr. River Song. Also, Professor River Song, Quasi Time Lord River Song, and Universe's Most Wanted River Song, depending on the day you met her, and sometimes on the day she met you. She was also Rory's daughter. The order of items on that list worried him sometimes. Merry Christmas, he said. And to you, father dear, she said, shaking out her explosion of curls. I got your message. Is Amy's mother okay? Rory gave her a small smile. You can call her Gran, you know, he thought for a moment. Maybe not to her face. River grinned back, a tad awkwardly. They had spent relatively little time alone with each other for father and daughter. River had been kidnapped as a baby by the Church of the Silence, taken from Rory and Amy and shaped into a weapon aimed straight for the Doctor's heart. It was complicated, and Rory wasn't great at complicated. He was, he knew, possibly too simple a person to be running around different timelines and futures and planets, but he knew he was going wherever Amy was going, and that was that. River had gone somewhere he couldn't follow just ten minutes after she was born, and by the time he did find her, by way of a thousand confusing interactions before and after her birth, he was so far behind he didn't think he would ever catch up. It's good to see you, River said. Really? And is that chief psychiatrist chill? Her smile turned tigerish. Rory had seen Daleks die in front of a smile like that. I told you, Henrik, she said. I write theses. I don't star in them. River song, Chill said. His hands were fluttering again. I thought we had cleaned all the contraband out of your cell. She picked her way across a pile of broadswords to lean against a vase the size of Rory. What contraband? Chill gave Rory a long-suffering look which Rory avoided by glancing warily into cell 427 across the corridor. As always, it was pitch black and silent, a cube of darkness, like the tank of some strange deep-sea fish. He'd always meant to ask River who was in there, but it felt somehow rude to do it within earshot. The guards snapped to attention as Chill disembarked from the cart, and River's smile disappeared. You know he's wired them to do that. Synaptic controllers surgically implanted in all of their heads so he can pull their strings. She shook her head scornfully. Sometimes, Henrik, I think if you didn't have captives to experiment on, you'd probably experiment on yourself. Chill's words replayed in Rory's head. They can't help it. It's how I designed them. You're hardly in a position to take the moral high ground, Chill snapped or you wouldn't be trapped on the other side of those bars. River indicated the trove of artefacts around her with a lazy wave of her hand. Do I look trapped to you? The lights went out. Rory's vision exploded in purples and blues as the overheads cut off with a series of snaps. The guard's needle-thin targeting lasers vanished. Even Chill's suit shut off. The corridor was plunged into darkness so complete that it felt like Rory's brain had suddenly been dropped in ink. Stay still, everyone, Rory said reflexively. He had been a guard once. Amy had been imprisoned somewhere, and Rory had spent a very long time guarding her, with sword and axe and blade and bow and knife and fist. He tried not to think about it too much. That's why he liked Ledworth a place so relentlessly normal you couldn't help but be normal too. But you didn't spend centuries being a prison guard without gaining an instinct for when things had gone terribly wrong. And it took a conscious effort to pull his hand away from his hip, where a sword had hung for the best part of those two thousand years. River? Getting a torch? Good. It was so dark. Not the dark of night which wasn't really dark at all, not with the moon and light pollution and a million other things to break up the black. This was the dark of a hole, the dark of a grave, the kind of dark you only got underground. Someone was whimpering. 
Chill, Rory said. Is this a power outage? No answer. Chill. Storm cage works off a geothermal siphon. River's voice was muffled. It sounded like she was rummaging through dozens of scrolls. Unless someone's found a way to turn off the planet's core, it isn't a power outage. Then what is it? Stormcage answered for her. Unmoored and disorientated by the blinding dark, Rory felt as though every other one of his senses had spun into overdrive. Gears ground. Vibrations stung his boot soles and chattered his teeth. He flinched backwards as a deafening rasp echoed from the vague direction of River's cell. He had no idea what it was, until he heard it again and again and again, chasing itself through the corridors of cell block humanoid 3, like a legion preparing for war. The doors. The cell doors were opening. Alarms began to howl. Screams rose with them. A hundred, a thousand, overlapping and competing, the joyous, chaotic symphony of prisoners smelling freedom in the air. It very nearly drowned out the sound of cell 427's door retracting into the wall behind Rory. Then a voice swam out of the blackness, thick as bubbling fat. It isn't a power outage, is it, Chill? Said prisoner 427. Henrik Chill's suit had rekindled in slow and sickly flashes, painting his skin the colour of a corpse. It's a prison break. It occurred to Rory, as prisoner 427 burst from its cage in a blur of limbs, that humanoid was a far broader term than he had originally thought. He had just enough time to register snapping jaws and wet, glistening muscle before he threw himself past the cart and into River's cell. The creature hammered into the cart with one meaty shoulder, rocking the half-ton vehicle up on two wheels before it righted itself with a deafening slam. Chill shrieked. Rory flung a baking tray. And prisoner 427, fully twelve feet of scales and serrated crustacean limbs, reared up to its full ceiling-scraping height, clacking its mandibles like a hungry man at a buffet. That was the first and last mistake of its newly freed life. The light of River's blaster would have been blinding, even if the darkness hadn't been near total. As it was, it felt like standing beside the birth of a star. Rory rose to his feet, holding a broadsword, just as everything above Prisoner 427's neck came away in light and noise. Drizzling fluid, it curled in on itself like a dead spider, flattening the cart as it fell. Dad? River asked eventually. Are you okay? It was only the sprouts, Rory said. I'm fine. That's contraband, Chill whispered. They found him at the feet of one of the guards, neither of whom had moved a muscle during the fight. Synaptic controllers, Rory thought. They need Chill pulling the strings. If they're on the same circuit as the rest of Stormcage, then every guard in the prison might be down. Blasters are contraband, Chill muttered. Swords are contraband. Sprouts are contraband. Chill, River said. Focus. Stormcage's systems have failed. We could be looking at a mass outbreak. They haven't failed, Chill retorted. The chance to contradict River had snapped him at least partially out of his trance. Not all of them. Life support is working, obviously. The alarms are working. It's only select systems that are down, which means... Chill raised a hand to stroke his right sleeve. Trails of soft light followed his fingertips before fading back into the cloth, and suddenly an image appeared across the folds of his suit. Bent and distorted by his arm underneath, it was still recognisable by its white concrete as somewhere inside Stormcage. The cameras are untouched, he murmured. Of course they are. They probably want this on public record to bring Stormcage to its knees. Well, that's career-making, isn't it? And criminals love the dramatic. Something ugly darted across his face. Isn't that right, Dr. Song?
What are you looking for? Rory asked, before River got her blaster out again. He had retrieved and switched on some battery-operated Christmas lights from the trolley he and Amy had packed, and was wrapping them round his arm as a makeshift torch. Control of the prison network can only be taken from the Panopticon, that Stormcage's nerve centre on level three, the psychiatrist explained. The image on his suit panned silently before coming to rest over banks of computers and glowing screens. There! Figures hunched over keyboards, cloaked in the white garb of Stormcage technicians, their body language unmistakably terrified. Pacing behind them, was a creature so large it only appeared in fragments. A swirling cloak, elongated limbs, an elephantine skull underneath a jagged wire crown. Rory's voice was hushed. Who... who is that? Isolde Rubel. River stiffened. This is where Rubel ended up. Only after I pulled a lot of strings... Chill said proudly. Fascinating individual. That's one way of putting it, River said. But how did she escape? Looking for tips, Chill said sardonically. I don't know, Song. She could have been planning this for months. The woman is a genius, a polymath, biologist, roboticist, geneticist, utterly dedicated to pushing the limits of what the body can achieve. Particularly her own. And others. River said darkly. Well, Chill said, I do try to avoid using the term mad scientist. They watched the colossal skull turn this way and that, surgical scars gleaming. Some of them looked fresh. Some looked homemade. At least, not without making my own diagnosis, he added. Rory took River by the arm and led her away from Chill, who was still stroking the sleeve of his suit like a puppy yearning to be let back into a room. Can we call the doctor? he asked. River shook her head. Last we spoke, he said he was going to find the exact nanosecond when Christmas Eve became Christmas Day and park there to have a nap. She grinned. Besides, this could be fun. A little father-daughter time. River, I'm holding a broadsword. It doesn't feel like father-daughter time. Rory had met River before he'd conceived her. He'd seen her at the death of the universe. He'd seen her taken from him and her mother, and then he'd seen her reappear with secrets and a smile. But he'd never seen her look hurt. Doesn't it? she said. Rory turned to find Chill hovering behind them, the images on his suit now replaced by that sickly flashing glow. So, let me get this straight, Rory said. Control of the prison can only be wrested back from this nerve centre, this panopticon. Yes, which is currently being guarded, Rory continued, by a notoriously mad scientist. The mad scientist, River offered unhelpfully. The worst this century has to offer. Chill tapped his chin. Hmm... One could make a case for Magnus Greel being slightly ahead in terms of general unpleasantness, but for all intents and purposes, yes, I would have to agree. They digested this in silence for a moment. River? Yes, Rory? Would you like me to make you a little plate? The ham tasted funny. River was scrounging in her cell for ammunition. Chill was trying to plot some sort of route to the Panopticon that wouldn't run them directly into any brawling inmates, and Rory was absent-mindedly chewing a cold piece of ham and wondering, is this just Christmas now? He had always wanted kids. Some nurses didn't. Working in a paediatric ward could do that sometimes. It was hard to see families on their worst days, on helpless days, on days when you could do nothing but say, I'm sorry, over and over again. Rory had seen a lot of frightened parents in his time. Sometimes he thought that having a kid was like keeping your heart outside your chest, open, exposed, at the mercy of the world. So, you did little things. You put tinsel on ECG machines. 
You sprayed non-toxic snow on all the windows. You kept a smile on your face no matter what. You pretended everything was normal and the universe made sense, in the hope that you might somehow make it true. Rory took another bite. The ham always tasted funny in the hospital, too. Can't be easy. Chill eased himself to the floor beside Rory, his skin grey and washed out in the half-light of his suit. Rory didn't say anything. He just chewed. Maybe he would get to like the taste. People could get used to anything. Chill waved his hand, indicating the dark corridor, the open cell, the wailing alarms. I doubt this is anyone's ideal Christmas. Rory shrugged. I've had weirder, he said, before realising with a start that it was true. At least the whole thing with the space sharks had snow. He eyed Chill warily. I'm not going to convince River for you. I didn't think you would. Honestly, I can't imagine the lengths you'd have to go in order to convince River Song to do anything. I can, Rory thought. I've seen it. Amy had explained to him just what River had gone through after her abduction. The training, the brainwashing, the Rabina flowchart. I wish Amy was here. You know, Jill said gently, I see families at odds here all the time. Families who have nothing in common. Families who have let each other down. Sometimes it helps to... Right, you two! River was loading her blaster with heavy, gleaming rounds. I've got six more shots in this, Rory. You have a... broadsword. And Chill, you have a root. The psychiatrist nodded. I can swing us round the riots on level two using the cameras to scout ahead. With a little luck, we can avoid most of the prisoners until we get to the Panopticon. And Rubel? Rory said grimly, getting to his feet. Do we have a plan for her? River cocked her blaster. I'm going to shoot her. See if that works. She stared at them for a moment. What were you two talking about? Nothing, Rory said, and wondered suddenly why he had lied. Once, not long after Rory's long guard of Amy had ended, the doctor had taken Rory to a room in the TARDIS that he had never seen before and poured him a drink. It had been a very strange experience. Not just because the doctor didn't really understand humans or because he didn't understand liquor and had poured them something that ate through both the glasses and the table. Mostly, it was because the gesture had the awkwardness of your dad giving you a long overdue talk about girls. Do you ever wonder, the Time Lord had said, why I occasionally, very occasionally, mind you, come across as a tiny bit scatterbrained? No, Rory had said truthfully. I thought you were just being scatterbrained. Thank you for that. Sorry, I'm trying to help. I know. The reason, Rory, that I might occasionally be a little scatterbrained, the doctor said, is because I have a long memory and people can get lost in memories. Too much detail, the past acting on the present. So I try to stay in the present and only go looking for the memories I need. The conversation had always stayed with Rory, particularly because that was the moment the acid-chewed table had chosen to collapse. He couldn't remember every single moment of his 2,000-year service, and the memories he did have were more like brushstrokes of a painting, all texture and colour and feel, blurred from one angle and crystal sharp the next. Their passage through Stormcage had a similar feel. Creeping past Aemon the Destructivore, as it took on 13 draconian warriors at once, breaking bodies with every swing of its fists. Fighting back-to-back -back with Salurian corsairs against a shoal of squirming, flashing rutan, their sizzling tendrils scorching nonsense patterns in the white concrete walls. Running hand-in-hand -hand with River, and even chill once or twice, the psychiatrist's suit flashing in time with the ever-shrieking alarms. I hope these memories fade properly, Rory thought. He had enough memories of war zones already. He couldn't have said how long they had been fighting when Chill found them a looted infirmary, its floor strewn with scattered bandages and the remains of nurse droids.
May I? Rory was trying one-handed to patch up a cut on his arm when Chill knelt beside him. Rory flinched, instantly scanning for River, and the psychiatrist gave him an amused look. She's covering the front door. Four rounds left by my count. And you should let me help with that. I am a doctor. And I'm a nurse, Rory said. He'd lost some of the Christmas lights from his trembling arm. That was something the movies left out about fighting. Swinging around a lump of metal for any length of time turned even train muscles to jelly. I didn't know that, Jill said. Rory cursed himself inwardly. Well, I defer to your professional opinion. Then Chill added, in this and in the matter of River. Sorry, Rory said. It was actually extremely difficult to patch yourself up one-handed. They didn't teach classes on it or anything. You know what's best for her, Chill said simply. And do you think her place is here? I don't think that, Rory said hotly. She does, and... He stood up abruptly, leaving his arm untended. Let's go. They plunged back into the fray, River giving Rory a look of surprise as he barrelled past her with his sword held high. Don't tell him anything, Rory reminded himself with every sword thrust, even if he's keeping us all alive. That was another awkward truth. Stormcage had become too chaotic to cross without at least some fighting, but Chill's cameras had led them round the worst of the brawls. Without him, they might already be dead. That doesn't mean he's right. We could be at home right now, if River wanted to be. Fleeing from a heated duel with Star Felon and a motley crew of allies brought Rory, River and Chill to the dim sanctuary of an abandoned cell, just a few corridors from the Panopticon itself. Chill accessed his suit, once again bringing up his camera feeds. The scene hadn't changed. The cowering technicians and the lurking patchwork monstrosity drool hanging from her elongated jaw. Why is she still there? River murmured. She has control of the shuttle bays. She should be making her escape. Does it matter? Chill retorted. Perhaps she intends to use Stormcage as a base. Recruit the prisoners as a private army. Take control of our... He paused, straightening his tie. Admittedly, brilliant medical facilities. Oh, fantastic, River said. You two can open a practice together. Guys, Rory said, could we focus on a plan? Chill manipulated the image with deft strokes of his fingers. The panopticon was a circular room, divided into a series of concentric circles by clicking, thrumming machines. At their centre was a computer twice the size of all the others, its console studded with screens that pulsed in time with Chill's suit. If I get to this console, I can shut the doors, activate suppression fields in common areas, activate the guards. We can take Stormcage back, he frowned, providing Rubel doesn't stop us first. Leave that to me, River said. What does that mean? Rory said, unable to keep the frustration from his voice. You can't just charge in and leave us playing catch-up. That's not how this should work. River sniffed. I know how attacking the panopticon of a mega jail works, Dad. Do you? No, Rory said. I guess I don't. All I know is that Amy and I spent a lot of time making a portable Christmas party for you and now it's back at your cell presumably being eaten by Alfred the Destructive Ex or whatever he was called. River looked hurt again. I know this isn't the Christmas you wanted. This isn't Christmas at all, Rory said. This is tinsel draped over an ECG machine. He sighed. Doesn't matter. Fine. Let's charge in. No, River said. And now she looked angry. This is definitely the time for you to have a tantrum. I'm sorry you're spending Christmas in prison, Dad, but this is where I live. Battle and danger and gunfights. I didn't ask you here. You were the one who wanted a family Christmas. Well, sometimes this doesn't feel much like a family either. Something exploded in a nearby corridor, followed by delighted prisoners hooting and cheering. 
It was a stark reminder that the war zone hadn't slowed down because they had. If they didn't take the panopticon soon, there might not be much of Stormcage left. River's voice had turned icy. That cool, considered tone that made even the doctor stop in his tracks. You see, that's the thing about family. You don't get a choice. You have a choice, though, don't you? Rory said. You're choosing to be here instead of... Instead of helping chill, River said flatly. I suppose I am making that choice, yes. The psychiatrist was suddenly very concerned with the play of light on his sleeve. Well then, Rory said, abruptly standing. I guess we all have to make the choices we think are right. He turned to chill. We get out of this. I'll help you write your paper. I'll tell you anything you want. He lifted his sword and charged. Rory didn't look round to see whether they were following him. He simply ran, pelting down that final hallway and smashing open the doors leading into the panopticon. It looked much as it had on the screen, circle upon circle of gleaming white consoles, presided over by the monster herself, Isolde Rubel. She was even more terrifying in person than she had been on screen, at once hulking and exaggeratedly slender, every trace of humanity removed and replaced by layer upon layer of flushed muscle and hooked bone. Mechanical arms had been grafted alongside her biological ones, each ending in a forest of surgical implements that whirred and gnashed and gleamed. Her head was the size of one of Stormcage's shuttles, a blunt fanged wedge, crowned by spurs of wire, with red gleaming eyes glaring from deep-set sockets. Ah! Rory's charge turned into a slightly awkward jog. Hello! Rubel lunged. A metal fist caught Rory in the chest, flinging him clear across three consoles before he slammed into a wall. His sword hit a second later and stuck in the wall just above his head, quivering like a tuning fork. It is possible, Rory thought, as the mad scientist stalked towards him, that dramatically charging in might have been a mistake. Listen, as one medical professional to another... Isolde said nothing. Instead, she vaulted over the first console, fingers leaving visible dents in the metal, and kicked the next one aside. Rory couldn't help but frown as he scrambled to his feet, ducking a sweeping blow from a scalpelled paw. Normally, and again, it worried him that he could say normally about situations like this, villains liked to explain or boast or preach as to why them killing him was quite a good thing, actually, and he really should be on board. He wasn't sure why this was. Maybe they didn't get to chat much with their acolytes. Maybe they thought it might somehow put their victims at ease. Either way, Rubel's bedside manner was leaving a lot to be desired. Rory wasn't an expert in figuring out facial expressions at the best of times, especially on faces so impressively reconstructed, but did she look... confused? It was the wrong thing to be paying attention to. Rory's back hit another wall. He tried to dodge left, but a tentacled set of pincers slammed into the metal and blocked his path. He turned right, but another arm punched deep. Rubel lifted a third to strike him down, then flinched as River's first blast took the limb off at the elbow. The monster spun, stained white coat floating around her as River and Chill rushed into the panopticon. River aimed to take another shot. No! Chill shouted. Don't! Rubel hesitated. She actually hesitated. Though whether it was in the face of River's blaster, or the shock at Henrik Chill actually showing some bravery, Rory wasn't sure. Either way, just like Prisoner 427, Rubel's hesitation bought them a second to move. Now! Rory shouted and River spun on a heel, putting her last blast directly into the console to which Henrik Chill had directed them. No! The console exploded in a flower of sparks. A shudder ran through Stormcage's bones, as if the facility itself had been shot. 
and the huddling technicians flickered and vanished in wisps of smoke. Isolde Rubel froze mid-turn. A clear voice rang out through the suddenly silenced alarms. System interrupt cancelled. Backup systems reasserting themselves. Chief psychiatrist Henrik Chill sighed, patting down his now black suit. How long have you known? That you were faking, you mean, Rory said. He put a foot against the wall and with some effort managed to drag out his sword. Rubel had really thrown it quite hard. Dad figured it out, River said with no little pride. He got suspicious after Prisoner 427's convenient hesitation. And then your merry dance through Stormcage kept us in in some danger, but never enough that we might actually die. You're a control freak, Rory said. Rubel was still frozen, arched like a scorpion in a museum exhibit. Rory had no desire whatsoever to get close to the monster, but even from across the room he could see the faintest tremor in the mad scientist's tangle of limbs, as if she was straining with every fibre to be free. I know the type, Rory went on, a massive system failure with no backups that goes just wrong enough that we have to join forces. Didn't feel right at all. Chill spread his hands, offering once again that scalpel grin. All in the name of science, dear River. You knew I wouldn't open up to you, River said. By Rory's count, she had used her last round on the console, but being unarmed only made her twice as dangerous as anyone else in the room. So you thought you could convince Rory to tell you my story instead. And didn't I? He turned to Rory. You seem like a reasonable baseline human, far too baseline to have produced something like River Song. You're nothing alike. And my offer still stands. Rory spun the broadsword in a lazy figure of eight. Chill's eyes couldn't help but follow the point as it hummed through the air. I was a nesting duplicate for 2,000 years, Rory said. I watched Rome burn and put the 12th Cyber Legion to the torch. I put Hitler in a cupboard. He took River's hand. We're more alike than you think. Oh. And before you start writing a thesis on me, I also know how medical papers work. River's smile was tigerish again. If the greater medical community was to find out that your interviews were conducted with synaptic controllers, you'd be ruined, she said. Why? You could have been making them say anything. I could tell you that I'm a child of a TARDIS, raised by a fanatical church to kill the universe's last Time Lord, but instead I married him and faked his death, and now I use your prison as free accommodation while he takes me out on dates. And you wouldn't be able to publish a single word. Chill's smile disappeared. Merry Christmas, Henrik, she said lightly. I'll be in my cell. You should probably get all this cleaned up. I wouldn't like to be near Rubel when the paralysis wears off. Later, after little plates and large plates and crackers and, yes, tinsel, Rory put his arm round River, careful not to reopen his cut. I'm sorry for what I said, River shrugged. He needed to believe you were close to caving, but I do understand. This isn't the Christmas you were expecting. Or the daughter. I don't think anybody gets the kids they expect, Rory said. And you've had a lot of people try to make you into a lot of things. Me? I wouldn't change you for the world. He looked down at his plate. Unlike this ham. River's expression turned sly. You know, I don't think security by the kitchens will have fully recovered. Rory set down his plate and lifted his broadsword. You read my mind. After. Wake up, Henrik. It's your lucky day. Chill sat up with a start. He hadn't been sleeping, in point of fact. 
Sleep had been eluding him, ever since what he was rather carefully referring to as the incident. Incident sounded better than jailbreak. It certainly sounded a lot better than failed attempt to manipulate a troublesome prisoner. The problem was, what Henrik called it wouldn't matter once word got out. That was the nightmare that kept him from sleep. Who's there? he snapped, looking around and trying to rub the ache out of his head. A form resolved out of the darkness. A porcelain oval, polished and pale, floating in the blackness, like a leaf on dark water. No, not a leaf, Henrik realised, as two slits opened and blinked. A mask. How did you get in here? Chill said, trying to keep a note of panic from his voice. My guards, they should have... Stopped us? A second mask appeared from the gloom. The voice was light, like a little boy's. They tried, in this and many other timelines. Not hard enough, unfortunately. Lucky for you, though. Lucky? Chill's mouth was dry. What do you mean, lucky? Because, in another timeline, the first mask said, its voice soft and female, Riversong killed you. You pushed her too far by going after her family, so she put a round through your skull. The panic button. It was beneath his pillow. He could press it easily, and yet something stopped him. Fear, perhaps, or curiosity, that foolish curiosity that had got him into this mess in the first place. She killed me? Then, the first mask continued, as if Chill had not spoken, there was the timeline where Rory killed you. Several timelines, in fact. He is an interesting one. We're watching him quite closely. Press the button, you fool. They could be anyone. Chill's hand was still at the back of his head. There was a pain there, tight and piercing and impossible to ignore. He found himself having to think around it rather than through. What are you talking about? he said. And then there were the many, many timelines where your own prisoners broke free and the things they did. Sibling, the second mask said. Enough. You don't need to worry about those other timelines, Chief Psychiatrist Chill because you're in this one. And what timeline is that? Chill said, still trying to find the source of the pain, and then froze, as his fingers found a cold little bulb of steel. A synaptic controller. Funny. When he'd designed them, he hadn't given a lot of time to wondering what wearing one would feel like. You can't get too wrapped up in that kind of thing, he remembered thinking, it gets in the way of science. The timeline, the boy said, where you tell us everything we need to know about Professor River Song. <laughs>